0: Ladies and gentlemen, goobers and ghouls, dear listeners, welcome back to Fear Boners. Presented by the Down in Front podcast, and I'm your host, Andrew, the Abs Man. And dear listeners, I am so excited to be back, still decompressing after returning from San Diego Comic Con. What a trip it was! We were out there for the whole week, the weather held out, it was beautiful. We got to see a lot of great stuff. We saw some advanced footage and some sneak peeks at the new Predator movie. We got to see some footage of the new Purge TV show that's coming out. And we also got to see some sneak peeks into the last Sharknado movie that's going to be coming out very soon. All of which was very exciting. A lot of cool stuff out there. Definitely check out the Twitter. We posted about it, we posted some pictures, we posted some other experiences. And I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff out there circulating after the event. So much great horror news coming out of that convention in particular. If you haven't had a chance to go out to San Diego Comic-Con, I definitely urge you to do whatever you can to get out there. It's a bit of an investment, but this is my fifth year going, and it's always worth it. It's a great trip. There's so much to do, so much to see. It's always a fun time. And again, so good to be back. So good to be on a regular recording schedule. And today, we do have a great film to talk about. I actually just finished watching it. It was released recently. It's called Ghost Stories, and we'll be getting into that in just a little bit. To warn you, we will be getting into a bit of spoilers. Obviously, I'm going to be talking about my reactions to the film, what the film itself is going to be about. This movie does take a fair amount of twists and turns, so if you want to watch the movie beforehand, definitely check it out and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. We always appreciate that. We don't want to spoil anything beforehand. It is a spooky movie. We want you to be surprised when you go to see it, so... Definitely check it out, and then come back and listen to our reactions here at Fear Boners. But before we dive right in, what I'd like to get into is what I'm drinking and what else I've been watching. Currently, now that I am back amongst the living, and I am not sick, and I am back on my game, on my grind, I am currently drinking... A little bit of this, I think it's Minute Made, coconut water and pineapple juice. This beautiful summery concoction that they put out. I hadn't seen it before, but I found it at the grocery store the other day. And then a little bit of that and a lot of bit of rum over ice. Mix it up. Ooh, nice little pina colada. Pina colada is what I'm drinking. It's not mixed, not blended. I guess I could blend it, but I'm not going to bother with that. I don't have time for that. It's Tuesday. Why am I drinking on a Tuesday? Doesn't matter. But... As for what I'm watching, we didn't get to see the advanced preview of Hulu's Castle Rock while we were at San Diego. But that's okay, because it did get released the next week anyway, so we didn't have to wait that much longer. If you haven't been following along, Castle Rock is a new Hulu series that just dropped the first three episodes are out there already, they're about to drop a fourth episode, because that's the way Hulu operates, and this is a Stephen King universe-based show, and right off the bat, let me tell you, it is a treat, because they are throwing so many things at you, so many references, so many things that you would get if you read the books, if you watched the movies, that's very much fan service to the people who've been waiting for something like this kind of bringing it all together it's almost like if you blink your eyes or your ears if you blink your ears you're going to miss it because you're either going to see something or hear something that you're going to be like wait a minute that's a character from this book or that's a character from this movie or that's you know a town or that's a thing oh this person just randomly mentioned like this event and that's clearly referencing this book or this story and it's really cool to sort of see that all coming together on the small screen and all the so far in the first three uh, episodes the characters are great the vibe is really spooky I can see I've heard from some other people that it's a little bit overwhelming and it's a lot to take in and maybe you feel like you're a little bit left out if you haven't been reading the books I'm a huge Stephen King fan honestly I haven't read Nearly as many of the books as I have seen the movies, and I still feel really comfortable. So if you've seen a lot of the movies, you'll probably be okay. Um, If you've read more of the books, you'll obviously be fine. If this is brand new to you, you probably won't get much out of it if you don't know what you're getting yourself into. It is still pretty spooky because, of course, it's Stephen King working with J.J. Abrams, so it's got that weird kind of lost vibe where everything's a little bit off. Character interactions are very strained. We're introduced to a very strange happenstance where a prison warden kills himself in a very brutal, heinous way. And then it leads to another mystery where there's a kid, he's, he's younger, who is stashed in a prison basement in a, in a cage that nobody knows who he is or why he's there. And that role is played by Bill Skarsgård, the guy who played It, Pennywise the Clown, And he is totally creepy in this role as well. You'll definitely recognize some of the other people in this show as well. There's a lot of that guy moments. There's a lot of people uh, overlap from people from Lost and other J.J. Abrams projects, as well as other Stephen King projects. You'll recognize a lot of these people. It's really cool to kind of see how these things are meshing. And I'm really interested to see where the show goes and how it develops, which I can sort of give it to Hulu that way in that I probably would have felt a little bit chipped if it was more like a Netflix show that did just kind of release all at once I probably would have spoiled myself and watched the whole thing, but now that I do have this pace where I can kind of pick it up and go and sort of spread it out over time, it's a little bit better to have that experience rather than rushing through it but yeah, if you love Stephen King if you love spooky shit, if you have a Hulu account, definitely check out Castle Rock don't want to get into it too much because we might do an overall review later down the line once the whole season's out. But that being said, dear listeners, let's get into the main event, what we're here to talk about. I just got finished watching Ghost Stories. Now, I had seen the trailer for this film a while back, and it looked pretty spooky. But I wasn't sure what to expect from it because, again, it has the same sort of vibe like I was just talking about with Castle Rock. It's very ominous, very vague, very, very much casted with many that guys. The one person you will recognize is Martin Freeman. He is Watson from Sherlock. He has been in several of the Marvel movies. He's been in a lot of stuff. You're just going to recognize him right off the bat. And basically, the premise for this movie is is we are introduced to a professor who specializes in debunking supernatural events or supernatural beings, ghost stories in general. Like, that's his jam. And we're introduced to him sort of on his way to go to a preeminent British psychic who does live shows where he basically takes advantage of people's loss, essentially. Almost a Jon Stewart type, basically going and saying like, oh, there's the soul of a dearly departed child here and i know his name is john doe is there is there a jane doe in the audience that can talk to this and so he basically hacks into a wireless signal and can tell that this person is basically being fed information from prayer cards that people were forced to fill out before the show and so it's all a hoax and so we're basically introduced to him in a way that like he's very skeptical and he doesn't want to believe in these things but even before that there's this sort of documentary vibe that is fed to us where he tells us that the reason his family fell apart was because of his father's religious beliefs and we are slowly treated to these almost awkward salvaged handicam footage of like family events it's like someone's um bar mitzvah i believe and then it's later on and the sister is dating this guy and the dad's not happy about the sister dating this particular guy and there's a family fight and you can tell it's very stressed and like the family's falling apart. And then you can tell that he has a very strained relationship with the rest of his family. And like that's sort of presented up front and gives you kind of a grounding for the character himself. And then we're introduced to the, to the professor who's the main character. And then we find out that he's into debunking these things because it's very much about the theme that weighs very heavy on this movie itself is belief, whether it be faith or whether it be um, in more than that, and whether it be something more supernatural. That's obviously the overtones of this film is, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in God? And then from there, we're carried through to the storyline where he, the front half of the movie is very, loaded is very heavy in that we're introduced to the professor we're introduced to his family issues we're introduced to what he does for work and how he presents himself and he has a television show called psychic cheats i believe and it's like a reality tv show where he exposes fraudulent psychics and things like that and there's a lot of shots and a lot of presentation in the front end of the movie that's a lot like interviews is a lot like a documentary and it sort of suffers the same thing that I had mentioned in our review of The Endless where there are these shots of interviews and confessionals in the front half of the movie that do not occur in the back half of the movie. So that theme, that way the movie's being made, almost like found footage, kind of disappears. But it does give you a good setup because he does also introduce this other character of another professor who was working similarly in his field but what basically drove him to become what he wanted to be when he was a child he saw this other professor on tv who was basically also exposing hoaxes and debunking myths and ghosts and things like that and it shows this whole story we see clips of him working with possessed people there's a really funny interview with a a possessed woman where she talks about how she was like she says at one point, she was like, uh, "It's like an old lady, and she's talking with like a, a spooky voice, like she's being possessed by a demon." She's like, "And then your mom was flicking a bead to John Travolta." And then it cuts back to him, and he's like, "Yeah, this is just a an example of a fake possession because the mother feels abandoned and she needs more attention because her children aren't around anymore." And he's basically breaking it down as to how it would really be, and not based on the supernatural context that's being put in front of us and so that's the person that he looked up to but then it's not quite a spinning newspaper but we see that there's like a news report where that guy disappeared under mysterious circumstances this professor that the this older professor that the main character looked up to as a child and so he makes a remark that it's kind of ironic that A guy who worked in that sort of field would disappear under mysterious circumstances. And then, of course, in the next scene, he receives a mysterious package that winds up basically saying, Hey, it's me, old professor guy. I need you to come to me because I have something for you. And it's very, it's very, it's very vague. It's very spooky and very mysterious And you can tell the guy's very nervous, and he goes out to meet him, and he's in a mobile home, and it's got these, like, ooky-spooky vibes. And he meets him, and right off the bat, we're introduced to this old... Because, like, in the clips we see of this older professor, he's already very old, so then when we're meeting him now, in, like, the present of the movie, he's very old. But also, you look at him, and you're like, that's just a... That's just a a character actor with a lot of makeup on. That's not actually an old... They didn't get an old man, and I couldn't tell who it was. So that's one of the things we'll get into. This will come back later in the review, because it's a great twist. And so it's not... You can't tell who it is, because you, you don't recognize the voice. You can't really recognize the face. But you know it's not really an old man. But it is supposed to be the professor dude who was like, hey, I'm not really mysteriously disappeared. I'm here. And they have kind of this strained, awkward encounter where the young professor starts to gush and be like, oh, I grew up idolizing you, and I thought that what you did was really great, and you know, I really kind of wanted to model myself around it, and this is what I wanted to do. And then the old professor cuts him short, and he's like, oh yeah, whatever. Like, at one point the young professor tries to hand him, like, a signed copy of his most recent book, and he's like, oh no. Mm, fuck that. That's... Yeah, That's not what I brought you here for And then he just sort of Vomits Like word vomits all over the young professor He's like hey I've seen your most recent work I think you're full of shit I think what you do is dumb And I think that you're wasting your time Because like what you do is just Awful And just tells him that his life's work is just a waste of time And then they get into this like kind of little argument But then he like throws this Binder at him I can't remember, it says something funny on the outside. It says something like these three, or like three, these three, I think is what it says, something like that. And he's like, these are three cases that I studied while I was trying to debunk the supernatural. That I could not. It's a great setup. And he says, I could, I can, I could not prove that they were fake, that they weren't real. And so, old professor tosses young professor these three cases that he needs to examine and he tells him he's like I want you to prove me wrong. I need I need to be proved wrong before I die. And um it's kind of a cool setup and like the the vibe there is really kind of awkward cuz again like you can tell this guy's not really an old man so it's like is this intentional? Like are we supposed to feel uneasy or uncomfortable about this? Like and then they kind of have that fight and then he kind of tasks him with this goal of, like, proving that these things are fake, but he's like, well, I was the preeminent dude in this field before you took over, and I couldn't do shit with this. I want you to do it, but if you can't, then, ha! You'll be stuck living in a mobile home, like, freaking out like I am, because you can tell he's really uneasy about it. And from there, the movie takes sort of a tonular shift because there's this great moment where... He leaves and he's walking away and he has the the folder full of these files and he kind of turns to look at the professor and there's so much standing over the professor's shoulder. Of course, this is where we're sort of first introduced into the, like, the spooky vibes of the movie. So there's like a, a form of someone standing behind the professor that clearly wasn't in the mobile home before because it's a very small mobile home. You can see everything from every angle. There was only the two of them in the mobile home and then suddenly there's someone there behind the professor. And then it's great because there's... After seeing the movie, there's a lot of this stuff that sort of comes back around towards the end of the movie. There's this moment where the guy's sitting on a bench by the beach sort of thinking about what just happened and thinking about if he's going to do it, if he's actually going to take these cases on, and he's sitting by the beach, and he sees these three kids on the beach, and you don't think anything of it because they're just like... Like, one of the kids has a dead seagull, and he's hitting the other kid in the face with a dead seagull, and you don't think anything of it. It's weird, sure, but it's like, what does that have to do with anything? But it comes back around! And so, then, again, to jump back to my last point, it takes a tonular shift where suddenly we're in an anthology film, because those three cases suddenly become three separate stories, and it's great, because it just kind of bops around, there's these quick cuts where he's not at the beach anymore, suddenly he's at a bar, and he's meeting this guy at this bar, and we're sort of introduced, and it's sort of uncomfortable, because the guy doesn't really want to be interviewed, and he's a security guard but he's like yeah but i don't really want to talk about it and he's like well why did i come all the way out here the professor's like no we arranged this interview like why would you have me come all the way out here if you don't want to talk about it and then he tricks him into paying him he has to pay him like 50 quid to actually do the interview and he's still really standoffish but along the way he's sort of dropping these sort of hints But this is sort of the formula that comes back for each one of these cases or these interviews that occurs is that the people are very cold and standoffish to begin with and then they kind of warm up to him. And as they warm up, then it drops into a dramatic reenactment, which I love. You guys know me. I love uh, A Haunting on, I think it was Discovery Channel. And those dramatic reenactments are so hokey. These ones are like... Legit, because it's a very highly dramatic horror movie. So it's it just cuts, and it's suddenly a like a film. It's like a movie. It's not a documentary anymore. It's just a movie. We don't have anybody narrating over it. It's literally just shot for shot. It's like the person telling the story, but like in a film, shot by shot, basically telling what happened to them and their brush with the supernatural. And in this case. It's a very spooky situation where he's a security guard and he's working with one other guy and they're, they're classic ghost story setups but they're shot really well. They're very ominous, they're very uh, they're very atmospheric at one point in the first ghost story that we're treated to, they're basically in you can't tell if it's a decommissioned prison or a hospital and the one guy is only in communication with his partner over walkie and the walk the guy on the walkie can't really speak very good English. And shit just keeps happening. The only power that's lighting the environment is through generator. And the plugs keep getting pulled on the generator. And the guy thinks that one guy's pulling pranks on him and like messing with him. But he's like, no, dude, I'm on the first floor. You're all the way up on the roof. There's no way I could get up there that quickly. Or like his coffee cup keeps getting moved around. And he keeps hearing weird shit. And there's these great little shots in this one particular vignette during this anthology piece where there's things that appear to move in one shot but then when he goes to examine them they're like something else like at one point it's like a blanket and a broom and he thinks it's like somebody standing there it's like classic charlie brown ghost like i've just got a bed sheet on am a ghost like that keeps happening and it's still spooky as hell because you know that he's in this abandoned building and he's under the impression that it's literally just him and his partner But then it slowly turns into, like, suddenly he's got a hammer with him, and he's convinced that there's somebody who's breaking and entering, and they're security guards, and they need to keep this place locked down. And there's this one, like, towards the end of the segment, where he finally decides that he's going to do a full scan of the perimeter. And he winds up in a room with, that's just filled, like, the walls are lined with, Uh, naked child mannequins. It's... You know, mannequins are scary enough on their own, so it's a darkened room that he has, like, a light switch. And you just know, the setup's great. So he flips the light switch. First thing is he enters the room. Smart, smart thing. But you know, as soon as he looks around, the entire room is lined wall-to-wall with naked child mannequins. And then in, like, he does a quick pan, and then you see in one corner there is again... Something covered in a sheet that looks like it's moving, and so he's convinced that he's cornered this person, and he's like sneaking up on it with the hammer, like he's gonna bash its brains in. And then he pulls the sheet, and it's a mannequin with a hospital gown on, and it's like, okay, well, shit, like nothing, like it's weird, but it's you know, it's not anything. And then the lights go out, and you're like, oh, shit. And then, of course, we're introduced to the to the ghost in that segment, and it's terrifying, and it's very thematic. It sort of plugs into some of the things we learned about that character beforehand. But then you have to remember a lot of the things that you might have thought were insignificant in that segment, because then again, all those sort of come back around at the end of the movie. So that's the first segment. The second segment is a really weird one where... We're introduced to a really neurotic kid this kid is great he reminds me oh, i can't remember there's another actor he reminds me of but he's got a great crazy face and he uses it wonderfully throughout this entire segment basically it's this really weird introduction where oh backing up real quick there's these interstitials between these segments because they're all broken up where it's like case one and the, the person's name and then in between case one and case two he has a discussion with a priest where he's sort of questioning what the person related to him and like, whether he believes it or not. And he has kind of a question of faith. And that was where I was worried a little bit that the theme of this movie was going to be more about faith because I saw a movie recently where that was kind of the same problem and it didn't, it it veered too far away from the supernatural spooky aspect and became more about, well, what do you believe? And it was just kind of, it didn't really execute very well. But in this movie, that was kind of a, a small interstitial and, in those interstitials, we're sort of introduced to another ongoing theme where we do start to see another being, another potential ghost, another ooky spooky thing that will keep coming back throughout the movie. And then in the second segment, we're introduced to this creepy kid who's incredibly neurotic, we don't know why. The professor is let into the house after checking his ID, but the kid's parents don't care that he's meeting with like this creepy adult guy. And so there's this great moment where the professor kind of goes to try to introduce himself to this kid's parents, but they're in the kitchen with their back to him and then the door slams and it's like, oh, okay, uh, well, I guess I'll just interview your son alone. And there's these other creepy aspects. He goes to like the wrong part of the house before he gets back to the kid's room and there's like someone else in the house, but then the kid's like, nope, it's just me and my parents. There's no one else in the house and it's just like little things like that that's like well who the the hell did I see on the third floor who was that and then like the professor insists he's like no there's someone else in the house and the kid opens the door he's like do you want to go check and it's just this dark hallway an abyss of a hallway and like there's this slow the thing that this movie does really well is there's these slow pans these stone ground slow icy pans or slow zooms that are so great and that one, it like sort of zooms into the hallway and then it zooms out from his face looking into the hallway. And he's like, no, never mind. That's all right. I don't want to go back out there. <laughs> and it's so creepy. So then he starts to talk to the kid and he's in the kid's room and the the kid's room is plastered with demonic imagery, all sorts of old woodblock prints and stuff like that from different books of goat headed demons and like demonic rituals and like witch burnings and stuff like that. And he's like, well, why do you have this all over your room? And he's like, oh, it's just my research. I just want to have it when I need it. I want to look at it. If I don't want to look at it, I'll look here. And he like turns and there's just a picture of a teddy bear in like one corner of the room. He's like, I'll just look there if I don't want to see any of this other stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so there's little things like that that sort of punctuate the creepy moodiness of the rest of this film that are really great and well-executed. But then, after a while, after we get a vibe for this kid and his character, we're introduced to his story, which is basically he was recently road-tested to get his license and he failed, but he lied to his parents about it so he would go to a party. So he was driving back from the party, he was super late from the party, and his parents were calling him like crazy. And he was just really nervous, because he didn't really have a license, so he was driving without a license. And he's on a dark, unlit, backwoods road, driving without a license, late from a party, and his parents keep calling him, calling him, calling him, calling him, and they're yelling at him, and they're saying, like, you're late, like, where are you? And he keeps cutting out, because he gets really bad service, and then his parents get pissed, more and more pissed, because they keep thinking he's hanging up on him, but he's not. He's literally just losing connection over and over and over and over again. Then... Suddenly he hits something Of course he hits something He's going to hit something But when we see whatever it is Sort of go up over the hood of the car It's like very fast Even though he's not going that fast It's very fast And you can tell it's like a person It's like a person type shape But there was something weird about it and he quickly kind of hops out of the car, but he's kind of, like, feeling his way. Like, his eyes are closed, and he's feeling his way along the car. He doesn't want to look, but he kind of... He has this great moment where he, like, kind of, kind of looks and then doesn't, and then just looks, and there's this flash. You don't see the whole thing. You kind of just see the a little bit of the head, and you realize, like, that's not a person. It's like, duh, it's like a demon. It's like the thing from the witch, the, witch, the goat-headed demon from hell. It's like a humanoid goat. It's like a goat man, basically, is what he he's hit. And so instead of stopping to help or see what it is cuz like I feel like in most horror movies in this situation sure the person would be terrified but also normally they'd probably examine the the dead goat man on the on the road before doing anything else but he just sees it he has this great moment where he sees it and he like bugs out and he like jumps back in his car freaks out a little bit and then drives off so it's like hit and run and sure enough I think at that point his parents try to call him again, or he tries to call somebody, and he can't, get, he can't get a signal, and then all of a sudden, everything else in the car starts to fritz out, the lights are blinking, everything's like shorting out, and then the car dies, and he's stuck on the road, in the middle of the nowhere, only a few yards away from that goat man thing, anonymous monster creature that he just hit. And so at that point, he basically calls the British equivalent of AAA. And there's this theme going on where people keep mispronouncing his name. The kid's name is so-and-so Rifkin, but people keep calling him Rifkine. And he's always like, Rifkin, Rifkin. And so the, the AAA person is just like, oh, we'll send somebody out, this and that. Like, what's, what's the, the license on the car or what's the registration on the car? Gives him that says I'm the kid. I'm not the owner. I'm the owner. I'm the owner's kid, and they say they'll be there in ten to forty-five minutes. Of course, so he's just kind of there, and suddenly it's very quiet. He's just like, all right, well, you know, they'll come. They'll fix the car. I'll be on my way. I'll get home. I'm already late. It's fine. Better late than never, and of course, there's a great scene where we hear all these things, and then his face is predominantly on screen, just like really getting to the tense neurotic person that we were introduced to initially because first in this, this scene or in these, this flashback, he's not, he's still more confident. He's not like completely broken that we're sort of initially introduced to him. Cause he's just very creepy and very scary initially. And then like in the flashback, he's okay. He's still ner. He's like nervous, but he's not like terrified so we see that transformation because he's sitting there and then all of a sudden there's this great scene where he sort of turns and the goat man is just standing right behind him outside the window and he just flashes away and of course you know there's the 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 goat man sort of runs around the car jumps on the car disappears a few times tricks the kid and then all of a sudden the back door opens the back door of the car opens Because this kid never thought to lock all the things But who knows, it's a goat man, maybe he's got supernatural powers He can pop the locks in a car But anyway, there's this great scene where Obviously the goat man gets in the backseat of the car And the kid is just Beside himself He's like, like squeaking, he's not really making any noise But he's just kind of like frozen in fear And these long hairy fingers Kind of come over From behind the car and like get on his hand because he's about to let himself out of the car and run obviously because you don't want to be in the car with a fucking crazy goat man that you just hit with your car and the goat man's long furry fingers unfurl and like slowly land on the kid's shoulders and you just hear and the kid without missing a beat is like fuck that and just runs runs into the woods and is just, like, crying and freaking out and screaming and running away. And then he la- he lands by a tree, and then the tree comes to life and eats him, sort of, or, like, grabs him. And then it's at this point where we get the second interstitial, which is one of the most telling, where the the professor at this point, after having this second dramatic reenactment, when he's just like, okay, this seems a little more wacko, it's not necessarily a ghost story as much as, like, this bizarre supernatural weirdness with a goat man and like a a tree person and like you could have seen a lot of shit it was really dark late at night and so he goes to the scene the kid tells him where it happened he goes to the scene he finds like the hole in the fence he goes through the fence and he sees a fallen tree that basically looks like it could be like a person reaching out to get you. The kid could have easily seen this at night and just been like, Oh, he thought this was a tree person reaching out to get him. But really it was just a fallen tree that fell in such a way that looked like that. And so he was getting ready to just the professors looking. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, like there's, there's something that keeps coming back throughout the movie. It's um, your brain lets you see what you want to see. Your brain tells you to see what you want to see. So it'll trick you into seeing whatever, but at the end of the day it's not it's probably not really there so he sort of rationalizes that walks back out to the car and as he's walking to the car there is him sitting in the car just dead not like not dead but like it's like he's he he's seeing himself struggle in the car pale pale as death just like scratching at the window like looks like he's having a hard time breathing and he just can't get. And then there's this great scene where he opens the car door and him, the him that's like suffocating in the car disappears. And it's so good. It's just without missing a beat, he disappears. And then he just has this moment where he's like looking around the car and he's like, what the shit? Like, what, what was I, what, that was me. Like, how was I seeing that? And it's really spooky. And then from there, we're introduced into the third story which is this weird... Again, it sort of drifts back into ghost territory, and this is where we're introduced to Martin Freeman's character. It's sort of more more vague. His background isn't as heavily given, um, because he sort of becomes more of a bigger character as this segment progresses. He sort of is presented as this big business-type dude, and he's sort of telling the story about how him and his wife have been trying to have kids and like they've been doing everything and then they found out that she was infertile, but he's a doctor, I believe, and then he tells, he tells about how he knew the guy to go to and it cost them thousands of dollars, but after thousands of dollars worth of treatment, she was fertile and they got pregnant. But, like you can tell he's not comfortable telling his story and he keeps snorting and laughing and like he has all these strange tics and defense mechanisms sort of if if you're familiar with body language and things like that some people deflect that way and it's very clear that this character is trying to do that while he's telling this very uncomfortable story to a essentially a stranger in the professor and so he's telling the story about how him and his wife have been trying to conceive and then this happened and then his wife was having trouble with the baby and the delivery and so she was sent to the hospital for a while and then weird things started to happen because he would, he was so busy with work but he was taking care of the house and all the baby stuff was there and then shit started going off so like he would hear strange noises, he would hear weird voices and there's a scene where he goes to try to check on the baby's room and he goes to reach for something in the crib and all of a sudden diapers fly everywhere. And then he goes to get the diapers and then the mobile above the, the crib starts spinning. And it's like really like really classic spooky move on its own ghost type stuff. But then there's this great part where suddenly he realizes that there's like someone standing in the corner of the room. You as the, you as the audience don't see it. But then all of a sudden like he says, I think he says the person's name, which I don't think you realize is his wife. And then you see bare feet. And then it just pans back. It doesn't pan back. It just cuts back to a wide shot of him standing in the corner of the room once he's tidied everything up after it's gone crazy. And his wife is standing or floating in the corner of the room with a long white dress that's kind of bloodied at the bottom. And she says, I think she's just like, we're dead. And then she just zooms up to him. And it's so creepy. And she just screams, and then it just cuts back to him and the professor sitting on a log. Um, and while he's telling this story, it does keep bouncing back and forth. This is one thing I'm going to back up a little bit. It does keep bouncing back and forth between the story, the dramatic reenactment, and then the professor and him walking along a trail in this field of weed or... I don't know, it's, it's not weed, but it's like, it's like a big dry field. And he stops at a locker and he unlocks the locker and it's full of guns. Essentially, hunting rifles, and he grabs one of the hunting rifles and he's like cleaning it. So they're sitting on the log and he's still cleaning the hunting rifle. And when he sort of tells up to the crescendo of the creepy wife ghost essentially coming to him and telling him that she was dead or we were dead, then he tells him the story of I can't remember what they named the baby, but he's like, Oh. She died in childbirth, and the baby lived, but I'm glad she didn't see how the baby turned out and how he looked, because I'm sure if she saw how the baby looked, as hideous as it was, she would have died anyway. She says something like that, and then, I'm happy they gave Martin Freeman the Jurassic Park quote. He says, sort of to, like, almost a Monty Python-esque, always look on the bright side of life quote, He says, life finds a way, just like Jurassic Park. And he says something else sort of like to to sort of level things out because it's like very dark and very ominous. And then he says something to like kind of turn the mood up a little bit. And then he turns the gun right around and blows his brains out in front of the professor in the middle of nowhere. But the whole time they were doing that while he was grabbing the gun and while they were having this weird conversation, like he was talking so fast and he was telling him these things about like work and then his wife and then the baby. And like there was a, a hooded figure that you've realized at this point, you keep seeing in the background of other shots. And he's more prominent in this third one than at any point in the film, but he does keep showing up in other points of the film. And this is where you start to realize that things are sort of coming together and things are starting to merge. So, this hooded figure appears several times in this third segment, very noticeably, less noticeably in the other two segments. But at that point, the professor just scrambles and leaves because he's like, That guy just killed himself. Okay, I don't know what to do. He goes back to the old professor who challenged him to look into these three creepy ass cases and basically has this drag out, knockdown verbal just you're full of shit i can't believe you would do this to me you're trying to take advantage of me this is probably a stunt for tv just to get you back on the spotlight and blah 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 this and that and then the old professor calls him on his bullshit and then jams his thumbs into his eyeballs the old professor is basically thumbing his own eyeballs and peels his face off this scene is actually pretty cool. So it's not gory as much as it's just wackadoo, and you get to find out who's actually behind the old man face. So he peels the goopy old man face off his head, and you realize that the old man who was pretending to be, or maybe always was the old professor, is actually Martin Freeman, the guy who just blew his head off two or three scenes previous. But then from there, once he takes off all the old man skin from his face he does this crazy and like i'd have to watch this scene again but i'm pretty sure they they shot it and then reversed it or the other way around because he basically does this crazy thing where he finishes peeling the face off and then he goes to like brush his hair back onto his head because it almost looks like it was filmed like he was messing up his already combed hair And then he just combs it back with his hands. And it's so cool. And that's when you sort of get this vibe that the Martin Freeman character is something more than whatever he... He clearly wasn't the character from that previous scene. He's something more than. But he also might be something more than human or more than normal. And at that point, they have this weird conversation about, like, what is real? What do you believe in? The idea of the brain letting you see what you want to see kind of comes back. And then Martin Freeman then points at a point in the wall and drags his finger down it and tears the entire back wall of the mobile home in half like paper, tears the paper down and basically breaks not the fourth wall, but basically you're in a different universe at this point. Suddenly the movie takes like a a large twist and like a weird bent where basically you're not in a mobile home anymore. You're not anywhere where you thought you were. And there's this big black wall with this black door that he opens into a black nothingness. And of course he tells the professor, the young professor, that he has to go through it. He has to follow him through it. And at this point, the professor's kind of losing his nut. He's just, what the fuck's going on? It's so weird. I've seen so much creepy shit. I've heard so much creepy shit over the past few days. And now I'm dealing with this. Like, now it's happening to me. Like, am I losing my mind? And so then at this point... gets dragged through, and suddenly they're walking along, I think, train tracks? The inside of the trailer doesn't exist anymore, there's just this black door he goes to the black door and suddenly he's outside again walking down these train tracks, and they're having this conversation that winds up being a bizarre flashback but in this flashback the hooded figure, with no face, keeps appearing in the background, like, further away, closer further away, closer, and then we find that the professor had this traumatic experience as a child where he was bullied, obviously. Those kids that I said before, where the one kid was dangling the dead seagull in front of the other kid's face, were memories of the professors that he was like somehow manifesting or seeing. So in this flashback, suddenly he's a grown man encountering these kids, and they start bullying him And they start, like, for example, they keep calling him Jew Face, because that's the one thing that Martin Freeman suddenly starts calling him this. And he's like, no, you know me from school or something. Like, who are you? I don't recognize you. And he's like, no, I know this happened to you. And then suddenly it sort of snaps into this weird flashback where the young professor is walking past a sewer almost. And there's these two high school kids who are kind of goofing off. And the one kid, I think, does have a dead bird, and he's, like, hitting the other kid with it. And then he stops him, and he's like, oh, Jewface, come over here, and, like, whatever. Because he's clearly trying to bully the the young professor. And then it snaps back, and it's not the grown-up professor. It's a high school-age professor. He's very young. And suddenly we realize we're in this weird flashback, and they're bullying him, and they're making him stand against a wall, and they're throwing rocks at him to break bottles, and they throw bottles at him. And then there is a another kid who shows up who is developmentally disabled and the two bully kids are trying to are making fun of him but the kid doesn't get it and he just wants to fit in with the bully kids for some reason he's not trying to help the professor at all and then the bully kids convince the the developmentally disabled kid to crawl into the sewer and cuz he sees that there's a number because Martin Freeman's character keeps repeating these random numbers to the professor. And the professor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what does this mean? And so there's these numbers that correspond to numbers in the sewer. And the one bully kid tells the developmentally disabled kid, he's like, you need to go down the sewer as far as you can go with this flashlight. There are 10 numbers. You need to count every number, yell it out. And let us know which it is i wrote them in there i only need you to tell me the 10th number which is the furthest one in there so of course the kid wants to fit in so he goes in he gets the first few numbers there's only six numbers there's not 10 numbers because it doesn't go that far and the kid the developmentally disabled kid is getting very scared and he said i want to come back and he's already said like six numbers and the professor the young professor's telling him he's like you didn't tell him that there's not 10 numbers in there he's going to get stuck he's not going to know you know he wants to leave you should tell him that he can get out of there and the bullies just keep insisting he needs to go he needs to go he needs to go and then we just see the kid has he's like in the in the far farthest reaches farthest narrowest reaches of the sewer and he's having a seizure or something Or we find out that he's asthmatic and he had an asthma attack and he died in the back of this, in the the far end of the sewer. And the bully kids just run away. And the professor has this moment where he thinks about it. And he wants to do something, but he still is just scared because he doesn't know what to do and he just runs away. And... That's when it snaps back to Grown Professor and Martin Freeman. And Martin Freeman's like, You could have done anything. You didn't do anything. You're just as bad as the bullies. And it's very much suddenly we realize that we're looking back on these things. And there is this overall theme of the professor constantly thinking, like, he's not good enough, sort of. He's sort of looking for meaning. He's kind of, sort of trying to reinvent himself and sort of trying to achieve greatness again sort of trying to to do something to prove that he's worth anything. And from there, the hooded figure comes out and is revealed to be basically this terrifying, decayed, zombie version of the disabled kid who died in the sewer. And it's terrifying because he keeps just laughing. And it gets to the point where all you can see outside of the hood of his parka is his smile as he's laughing. And then later he takes off his hood and he's all fucked up and so he chases him around for a while and yeah there's this moment again where he's chasing him down the train tracks and the the hooded figure again rips the paper background basically tears tears a hole through reality rips the paper off the wall and there's just this creepy hallway and he's sort of pursuing or he's telling the professor to go through the hallway and pursuing him through the hallway and suddenly he opens a door and there's just a a bed at the end of the hallway and the professor doesn't want to get into the bed, but the guy's kind of pushing him into the bed. And then there's this weird transition where the, the hooded zombie disabled kid is pinning the professor to this bed. And there's like a Dutch tilt and then a full shot shift where it suddenly levels out. And we realize that the professor is in a hospital bed and there's this weird so there's this weird theme that I'm not sure what it coincides with but in the first segment the ghost sticks its finger in the security guard's mouth and it's really weird and that's how it ends is like the ghost kind of reaches up and gets its hand on the guy's face and then kind of dunks its pointer finger in the side of his mouth at the end towards the end of the movie the hooded figure does the same thing where he pins the professor to the hospital bed and like sort of sidles up next to him and sort of spoons him but then reaches an arm up with his like gross zombie green like decayed hand and like, stuffs a finger in the side of his mouth and i don't know what that's all about but it's really creepy and then it sort of pans out and we realize that yes the suddenly are we finally in the real world do we know where we are is this what happened to the professor after examining all these cases did he like crack or like what happened he's in a hospital bed he's hooked up to 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 ventilators he's clearly not conscious he's in a bad way and that's where it sort of resolves we do get so basically what happens is you have this Wizard of Oz kind of waking up from a dream where it's like, oh, and you were there, and you were there, where, yes, the young professor is unconscious in a hospital bed, hooked up to a ventilator, in a perpetual coma, because what we find is, A, the first one to appear is the neurotic kid as a student nurse who's working uh, at the hospital, checks in on him, but then the, the doctor in charge is actually Martin Freeman's character and he comes in and sort of explains that the professor down on his luck with what have you or what he was doing between like family problems and work problems had apparently tried to kill himself by running the exhaust fumes of the car into his car. And because of that, basically, he's put himself into a full coma. His his mental facilities are completely drained. He probably will never wake up again. He's probably here for keeps. They make her a mark where it's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, oh, it means it's here for keeps. And then as you look around the room, you see items that were also in the other segments. Like there's the creepy doll that appears a couple times and there's a coffee mug. And then the janitor that comes in is to clean the room is also the the security guard from the first segment. And it's weirdly shot in that scene in the hospital room scene. It almost felt like it was a stage production, which totally makes sense because then as it sort of wraps, when we find that, yes, this whole movie, this whole movie was this terrifying, terrible purgatory state that this guy put himself into by attempting suicide He's caught in this terrible, ghostly, regrettable, woulda-shoulda-coulda adventure that he's on over and over and over again because he decided to kill himself. He's stuck there, and it sort of wraps that way in this terrifyingly regrettable, creepy, sad ending. And there's there's no curtain that gets drawn, but one of the first credits says, based on the live stage play of the two directors who made this film, And it's really great, because it is sort of presented in that way, that you get that sort of, it comes back around again to an ending that you didn't really know you were at at the beginning, and it's very much end scene. Again, it doesn't have a a dropping curtain, but it definitely, you feel it. You don't see it, but you feel the curtain drop, and then you're like, well, shit, I guess I just watched that movie. And that's that's essentially ghost stories. I just talked through the entirety of the movie because it's still very fresh in my skull. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. It definitely went in a lot different direction than I thought it was going to. Super fun movie. Again, urge you urge you to watch it before you listen to me spoil the whole thing for you. But it's very fun, very creepy, very quick watch. Great British spook show. Ghost stories, yeah. If you have a chance, if you find it anywhere, definitely check it out. And with that, that'll be it for us this time around. But if you enjoyed what you heard, you can hear more if you want to find out about what we've got going on with the rest of the Down in Front Podcast crew, you can definitely pop on over to downinfrontpodcast.com to see our older episodes or what we have coming out. You can definitely check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash down in front podcast. We're also on Twitter. We have the main Down in Front Podcast Twitter account at underscore DIFP. And we also have the fear boners account at FearBoners D-I-F P. Um, You can also reach out to us by email. The main Down in Front Podcast email is going to be thecrew at downinfrontpodcast.com, or you can reach me directly at fearbonersdifp at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel, um, as well as the Return of the Games cast. You can watch a few of us over there playing live streams of video games on Twitch at twitch.tv backslash Down in Front Podcast. And As always, we do this for absolutely free because we love movies, we love you guys, and we love to have this ongoing conversation with you guys. But if there's any part of you that feels like you want to help, in the production or getting this together, you can pop on over to Patreon at patreon.com backslash Down in Front Podcast. Every little bit helps. Even if you pledge a dollar a month, it means the world to us and it helps us basically get more content out to you and on time so that we can have this conversation with you. And there are uh, some benefits for folks who pledge to our Patreon so you can definitely pop on over to Patreon to learn more about that there. Uh, and as always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to Fearbone presented by the down and front podcast. I'm your host Andrew and I appreciate each and every one of you dear listeners that tunes in to listen to me talk about any dumb horror movie that I wind up watching week to week. Um, and definitely there will be more now that my schedule has settled down quite a bit. so we'll be back with you sooner rather than later to tickle your fear boner and spoil some spooky movies. So until then, keep it creepy dear listeners.